PI review rules are complete shambles. It was yeah. totally PI. It should have been a touchdown on fourth down. Um, but sure, that's just how it is. I'm sure we'll we'll continue to hear a lot more about that bullshit as, as time goes we will, on. We will. And I'm sure we'll see it in the playoffs, which I believe was the exact problem they were trying to fix. Hello, welcome to Health Reporter here on Stop Shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. It was an exciting week. Uh, some games we thought were going to be great were poor. Some games we thought were going to be poor were great. And uh, there's just a lot to talk about. So, hey, we got Connor here and we got Ronan. Hello. How are you getting on? Any crack? Ah, uh, not too bad, uh, as always. Out last night watching the Ireland Denmark game. Ireland must win if they wanted to qualify for the Euro 2020 tournament. Unfortunately, could only manage to get a 1 1 draw after letting a fairly soft goal in against the run of play and then managing to scramble back at the end. But yeah, I was watching it with Sean and Marcus, our, our mutual friends in Cork. You know, a bit disappointing there, but yeah, it wasn't even the biggest disappointment that I had that night. Tyreek's Hill injury cost me a big fantasy game. Very disappointing yeah, that as well. <laughs> it cost me too, the fucker. But yeah, no, I had a, I had a nice weekend. I, I, I ended up not really getting a weekend because... Uh, I decided to move house out here in Iraq, so the missus is over in Jordan at the moment for three weeks, so I had to move house in the space of one day on my own, which was uh, very exciting, but also very tiring. So I basically spent the weekend packing and getting everything ready to go, and so some of the listeners might notice a slight drop in the audio quality this week. I've yet to get lined broadband into the new place, so I'll hopefully have that fixed for next week's one, but... uh, no, it was good. Then had an easy night last night and then got up this morning to watch the uh, the Mexico City game that we'll talk about later on. And my God, that was a, a tight ending for me both simultaneously being excited for the game, but also watching my clock just being like, and I have to leave in the next five minutes for uh, to get a to get a taxi into work. So I really, really hope this doesn't tie up and go to overtime. <laughs> to be fair, in retrospect, I suppose the last play that mattered seemed obvious. It was going to happen, but uh, at the time, I'm sure it felt very different. Well, I, I, all, all I have is flashbacks to the, the game we played against them last year, where oh, yeah, uh, course, they, yes. they, they led for a total of three seconds of the game. Last minute touchdown, two point conversion. Yeah. So I was just going to have had kind of like, you know, Nam flashbacks coming out of my head. <laughs> um, but yeah, I suppose we will kick off with the news. And my God, Jesus. We have to start. It's been a quiet year for the most part for crime and punishment. What are they doing? Probably felonies. And they decided to squeeze it all into one week. So let's start with the fallout from the Thursday night game. Cleveland defensive end Miles Garrett got himself into a bit of a scrap. He pulled Mason Rudolph's helmet off him with a second left in the game or so and proceeded to try and beat the living pulp out of him with his own helmet, uh, which then caused a large kind of pile up a fight, street fight on the ground with a load of the Steelers linemen and stuff. So Garrett's received an indefinite suspension. They said it's minimum for the rest of the 2019 season and playoffs. And they're going to, I believe this week as we're recording, I think it's tomorrow that um, he has a meeting with the league or the league are having a meeting about it and he's asked to attend. Other ones that came out of this were Cleveland defensive tackle, Aaron Ogunjobi, Pittsburgh center, Marquise Pouncey. They've gotten one and three games each and there's a number of fines that have come in as well. But basically this was a very confusing situation where the game was done at this point. It was more than two scores, I think, separating the teams. There was seven or eight seconds left. And then this kicked off. Now, Mason Rudolph is not blameless in this by any stretch of the imagination. He was 
jawing away, pushing, kicking. And I believe he actually... Did he kick Miles Garrett in the dick before Miles Garrett tried to knock his head off yeah, with his own I believe, I believe after they had their little ruckus on the ground where Garrett's on top of him while he... Before the helmet was ripped off or around that time, there might have been a dick kick as well. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a bit of a mess here. Like, I suppose, like, the timeline of this is, as you say, this is, like, I think, with eight seconds left on the clock. The game is over. It's been a testy, dirty game. We'll talk about that more in the review, but there's been a lot of hits to the head, people getting concussions, awful stuff like that. Obviously, a lot of things coming to the boil. Very reminiscent of these kind of, those kind of Pittsburgh, Marvin Lewis, Cincinnati Bengals type games where the mm. teams were obviously looking to make a statement. And we know the ill-discipline of the, the Barons this year. Maybe that got a bit out of control here. But basically, Miles Garrett sacked Mason Rudolph with basically no time left on the clock. Was on top of him, um, which I suppose technically is a penalty, but I'm sure the refs just wanted to get it over with. Um, at that point, Mason Rudolph kind of jams away at Garrett's helmet which was probably the inciting incident here. And let's be honest, uh, Mason Rudolph's a bit of a bitch here. I'm going to be honest. But obviously that doesn't excuse what happened next, which is, as you say, the helmet was ripped off him. And then as uh, one of the offensive linemen was trying to break up the fracas at this point, because obviously taking his helmet off is, would be aggressive move in the first place, then Miles Garrett around the offensive lineman brings the helmet right down onto Mason Rudolph's head, like unprecedented level of danger there. Like it's own like it's lucky that the helmet kind of it was the padding mostly that might have hit him initially because if it hit him directly, who knows what could have happened here. Then after that, yeah, as you said, a big fight broke out. Marquis Pouncey went basically full UFC on Miles Garrett, and then Larry Joby got the one game suspension for a cheap hit where Mason Rudolph was like, I kind of stepped back from it a little bit, and I got a big push in the back. Uh, from Larry Abogunjobi and the rest of the people involved, Mason Rudolph included, have got fines, but it just turned into an absolute fracas at that point. I think everyone agrees that the type of hit that Garrett did is unacceptable, including himself. And, you know, I think a suspension for the rest of 2019 is pretty much what is required in this case, even if unprecedented. His, his appeal is really on a technical grounds under the CBA. There's no such thing as an indefinite uh, suspension and that they want to basically get it down to just being 2019 now um so i don't think he's saying he shouldn't get a suspension for 2019 it's just you can't make it indefinite under the cba uh whereas Ogum joby and pouncey i think are trying to get theirs either removed or reduced but i don't think given all the controversy around this that it's going to lead to any significant reductions for any of these guys let's be honest a lot of incidents throughout the game going into this and we'll discuss it more when we get to the game reviews but this was a filthy game and this is just a mess. Like have a look at it online. It's just crazy how quickly it just goes off. And again, this this is this is a set of teams that are now gonna play each other, I think, in two weeks' time again. So yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if you wanna be anywhere near the field when that one happens. Uh that's going to be an interesting one. Uh, breaking news today, uh, police report that running back Mark Walton of Miami, or previously of Miami, I believe he's just been cut, has gotten involved in a domestic incident where he pushed a woman against the wall and punched her several times in the head. And to then compound it was that he learned two days ago she was pregnant with his child. So, uh, yeah, just complete scumbag. Yeah, so this is breaking news, so we don't have too much detail, but the uh, report from uh, Mike Garofolo, this is based on the actual police report. Um, so this, you can take this as being pretty official, and we don't know the, that many details yet, but regardless, the, the information officers say that Mark Walton, who obviously was already suspended for off-season incidents involving the minor stuff of like marijuana possession and usage, but also involved in some 
I believe also violent altercations previously. And this is just like another level above that in scumminess. And yeah, I think we can safely say that he will never be in the league again. If justice is served, if this is true, because obviously it's alleged right now, it hasn't been proved yet. If this is true that he'll spend a significant amount of time in prison because this is completely unacceptable. Yeah. No, off the, off the charge. And a wide receiver, Antonio Callaway of the Browns, uh, suspended for 10 games for another substance abuse policy violation. He was cut by Cleveland just before the announcement, so I imagine he informed Cleveland this was coming and they just said no more. He was obviously kind of highly touted coming into the league. He was expected to do a lot more than he has. This will be an interesting one to see if and when he comes back where he might land because there there's definitely going to be people out there who are going to say, look, there's talent here. We just need to figure out how to clean up the off-the-field stuff. And then when you look at the likes of uh, Darren Waller in Oakland as a kind of a redemption arc story of coming back from uh, substance issues and then being able to perform at the high level he is, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people with an eye on him for next season. Yeah, but like, you know, a 10-game suspension is a significant like barrier. Like, if he manages to work his way back up, he'll have earned it. Um, but obviously another boneheaded decision here to... Uh, uh, continue engaging in, in in some bad habits um but uh, we hope that he can have a darren waller redemption and find uh find his way back to being an effective player because he had he had flashes of looking good for cleveland last year so we can only hope for the best here no of course on to controversy corner here's a name we haven't heard in a while colin kaepernick has uh, just had a private workout in atlanta on saturday to show some teams that he can still play and to kind of essentially shop himself to them. Uh, there was a couple of teams were interested and sent uh, scouts down to see him. The issue was obviously it was very short notice. This was arranged with the NFL and there was a number of issues with it. So short notice, I think they were only told the week of the training. And it's also on a Saturday, which is normally the travel day for teams. So it'd be very difficult to get any kind of head coaches or anyone a little bit more higher up involved. They looked at yeah. change out and couldn't. And then Kaepernick at the last moment decided to change the location because he wanted to be open to the media. And there was also some issue surrounding them wanting him to sign some kind of waiver. So he decided, no, I'm going to move to a high school pitch that I believe was out near the airport to make it easier for scouts to get in and out. And the feedback was he looked fine, like still good physicality, still decent arm, if not elite accuracy and so on. But obviously... The issue that was always pointed out for Kaepernick wasn't the physicality because he was he had the physical traits you were looking for. And he's apparently excellent in the film room diagnosing. But when he was on the field, he didn't have the ability to be able to dissect defenses and see what was being thrown at him. So realistically, a, you know, running around in shorts, throwing a football just shows people that he still got the things that they thought he had beforehand and weren't the limitations on him as a quarterback. Correct. Yeah. Like you're looking at someone here that might be at a stretch like the 20th best quarterback in the league if he could get back to being roughly where he was in his last years in the league that's roughly where he was and you know so that means that there's some teams that could probably do with having a Kaepernick at least he has certain obviously athletic skills that provide more upside than some of these lesser quarterbacks it's hard to know where this came out of obviously this was announced just on last Tuesday so just after we recorded last week's podcast um, so very unusual there. You'd have to imagine that maybe it had something to do with the settlement that was made with Kaepernick by the NFL earlier this off in the offseason. Yeah. That's the only way I can imagine them having made this at all. Um, otherwise, it seemed like a really peculiar PR move from their end to, to do this and make it such a public 
uh, thing, but in such an awkward state. And then when Kaepernick basically pulled the plug, leading to all kinds of weird situations, there's rumors or reports that Hugh Jackson, who was going to be involved, flew back home after Kaepernick's agents informed him that they had changed location and the, and the situation. And obviously these kind of murky rumors about, you know, liability clauses or waivers um, for things like injury and perhaps in terms of future contract or future, you know, statements that we made by Kaepernick. Very, very murky and obviously, you know, not wanting to be open to the media. It's like it's a private work. Like it's it's a workout. Like what's the worst that could happen with why was the NFL so afraid of it? Were they trying to make this less of a story? They just basically blew up on their face. And as you say, like there was seven teams who actually ended up showing up um, to the actual Kaepernick workout. Maybe more would have went to the NFL sanctioned one. Uh, the teams for reference, Detroit, Kansas City, the Jets, the Eagles, the 49ers, Tennessee and the Mazungus. But it's kind of hard like just, they did, I think this is like this situation is a microcosm of why a team is just isn't going to sign Kaepernick because even something like just seeing can he still play football turns into a complete circus uh, because Kaepernick isn't going to take shit. He's not going to he's not he's not going to fall in line anymore. He's not going to do that anymore. And basically, most teams are going to go for a for a backup for a filler starter. That's just not what we want. We want someone who's quiet, gets the job done, even if they lose games, rather than Kaepernick who might win some. So you know. I don't know what the NFL was up to here, I, and I, I and Kaepernick, based on what he said, I, I completely agree why he did this. But uh, Kaepernick back on the NFL field doesn't look like it's going to happen, in my opinion. No, it doesn't really. It might be a spot where he might get a look now in next season's preseason or something. But yeah, I don't see anything happening uh, immediately. Anyway, just yeah, just overall a very unusual story, and maybe one to keep an eye on because, like you say. There is almost certainly some connection between this being arranged as an NFL event and the settlement that he came to with the league beforehand. We have a couple of injuries. So normally we restrict these to the uh, to the playoff hopefuls, but one is because it's a, a high profile. Chicago quarterback Mitch Trubisky has injured his hip at the tail end of the game. Now, depending on who you believe, it's a serious enough hip injury to pull him at the tail end of the game or it's the excuse that they need to take him off the field he's been underperforming to put it quite mildly for most of this season even though he occasionally will drop a couple of nice passes they are basement kind of offense with him under center this looks to be the potential excuse they need to bench him for the rest of the season and all all indications point to chase daniel starting as the Chicago quarterback in the upcoming week. Do we think, one, this is any impact on Chicago this season? Or two, in the longer term, does this kind of maybe hint at them wanting to move away from the first rounder they spent so much draft capital to move up one spot to take ahead of Mahomes and Watson? (laughs) Like, they're backed into a corner now. Obviously, they spent a lot of draft capital acquiring Mac. Uh, as well last season so they're very low on resources to get a new quarterback if they choose to move away from Mitch Risky so but at the end of the day they've given him all the rope that they can give him they've given him everything that they can and they're not going to do anything in 2019 they're basically out of the of the of the, of the hunt in terms of playoffs and an NFC that's stacked at the top of it yeah like I think just at this point is whether you you choose to cut bait early and just wipe off the rest of the season and make a statement that we're going to move on no matter what the cost is. Or you can put Mitch Trubisky back in, continue to have him falter under under the lights. Maybe you just need to get him out of the lights for a while, come back next season with some 
better talent on offense and maybe he'll be improved. But yeah, right right now, based on what Mitch Trubisky is doing, the only throws he's making are either like bubble screens to people like Tariq Cohen or to long throws where Matt Nagy has managed to scheme up someone who's got like 20 yards of space around him. And that's just not enough in the NFL. It's not enough in college. It's not enough anywhere. So right now, this could easily be the end of the Mitch Trubisky story. But I think just where Chicago are in terms of draft picks and in terms of like the choices available, it may not be the end of the Mitchell Trubisky era, even if maybe deserves to be. Yeah, of course. What I'm very interested to see, though, is because I presume if you're going to give up on Trubisky, you might try and get rid of uh, Brian Pace, the GM there as well. But I believe they recently extended him. Um, well, you know, extensions, you know, they're, uh, you know, plenty of NFL teams are paying out contracts uh, that uh, were less well thought out than they imagined. That's true. That's true. But yeah, I think this this can in my head probably only be a positive for Chicago because honestly, looking at that roster, if they had been if they had been able to acquire Andy Dalton before the trade deadline, I think they could be a wild card contender. Like the defense is very good, the surrounding talent is good, but Mitch Trubisky is dragging that team down hard. Uh, Indianapolis suffered a bit of a hit. So Marlon Mack, who was having a fantastic game and had probably the highlight run of the week where he uh, spin-moved three defenders and then uh, stiff-armed two more on the way to a touchdown, he uh, fractured his hand late in the game and that's him gone for the next somewhere between one and four weeks and I'd imagine probably on the later end of that. This is an Indianapolis team that has just taken the lead in the uh, in their division but they now have an upcoming match against their main rivals, the uh, Texans there. This is a big hit because Marlon Mack is an excellent back, but a lot of what they do and how they keep the system running around their kind of, well, now starter, but then backup quarterback and then backup to the backup quarterback is to run a lot through Mack in both the running game and occasionally in the pass game. This is going to hurt them hard. To a certain extent, the run game shouldn't completely disappear, though it, it was a significant drop down. Yeah, like Hines, Hines is okay, isn't he? Yeah, and John Williams, who I think formerly of the Buffalo Bills, uh, got 100 yards in the game, albeit off a couple of big plays. So I think with that offensive line, they, they, they should hopefully get decent production against the lesser defenses, which I think Houston is among, and that's obviously going to be a huge game, as we'll talk about later. Uh, but I think if they're going to do stuff against the better teams... Um, either now or perhaps in the playoffs like it's about four weeks is what they're hoping um, but he's out indefinitely officially um, and if he does come back he'll be kind of strapped up on the hand to kind of make it work but yeah he's he's looked really good he's very talented so it is a big hit for them but I think the, it puts more pressure on Jacoby Brissett as you say but I think with with, with, with that offensive line they, they, I wouldn't completely discount their ability to keep running the ball but uh yeah, definitely a step down, particularly as T.Y. Hilton is still out at the moment. There's a chance he might be back for Thursday Night Football. But I think without Mac and T.Y., the offense, those margins of error that we've talked about before against them, they, they are always shrunk a little by all these injuries that they've suffered so far this season. But they're well coached so that they've struggled through. So uh, definitely can't dismiss them yet. Kansas City suffered a couple of injuries in their uh, Monday night game in Mexico. Tyreek Hill. I believe he was on the field for five or six snaps and then injured his hamstring. He's week to week. They're getting an MRI on it today as we're talking to you as they got back late from the game in Mexico. They also had injuries to a couple of running backs. So Damian Williams has injured his chest and he's week to week. Uh, They also had Shady McCoy left the game for concussion testing, but uh, I haven't heard anything on that since. So I imagine that he was 
cleared afterwards. Uh, it's not the worst time for this to happen, given that they're just going into their bye week. But obviously, if these are longer term issues, it's going to be very difficult. Tyreek Hill is key in that offense. Miko Hartman provides, you know, some of the speed, but Hill is developed into a very much a top end receiver. The route running's come on, and he's also just insanely fast. Williams was performing very well at the running back position. Shady is good but still old has the slight fumbling issues and yeah it just kind of the kind of injuries that you hope are on the shorter end of the week to week rather than ones that niggle and hang around for a long time yeah i think hamstring injuries they have that reputation of hanging around but i think if you get two weeks off and obviously mahomes is probably still shaking off some of his own hits recently i think it comes this bye week for kansas city comes as a good time they can rest up get guys healthy and hopefully come back for the home stretch much healthier to fight off the Raiders and also potentially uh, nip in for for a potential uh, week one uh, playoff bye. But yeah, I hope both these players are talented players. We want to see them on the field. No, of course. And uh, just one non-NFL one to mention, Alabama quarterback Tua has a hip fracture that ended the season. So I think he uh, dislocated his hip, but also had fracture in the in the socket so post-surgery says that he should be a couple of months and he'll be able to throw again he was considered probably top two to top three for the upcoming draft this will obviously knock him down those rankings a little bit and if the injury was to sustain for any longer he might consider staying in college for an extra year as he could fall quite far out of the uh out of the first round even if he's unable to test and they're not sure what the severity of the injury moving forward is so just one to keep an eye on going in towards the draft i I wouldn't i wouldn't say he'll drop too far but yeah definitely Mm. if he can't show anything in the uh, evaluation process it'll probably drop him a bit yeah and to be honest sometimes if you think about it that would mean that he could drop down as far as some of the maybe not as immediately needy teams but soon to be needy teams so like your Saints, your Patriots, your teams like that, that that'll be a nicer spot to be landing than to just be thrown in to now be the, the new quarterback for the Tennessee Titans or something like that, you know. But yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that as we progress towards the draft next year. And the only real signing we've mentioned is Philadelphia with the injuries that they've had at the running back position have decided to sign Jay Ajayi. So he had uh, no carries in week 11. Thanks, Jay. You were my kind of emergency <laughs> pickup in uh, one or two fancy leagues because I uh, had some problems. But yeah, I uh, would expect to see him probably worked into the rotation next week. He's going to provide a lot more of the kind of the heavy kind of bulldozery style attack if yeah. they st- if still have injuries to their other running backs. Because Jordan Howard had been providing that, but he was uh, a little bit banged up going in. So I suppose we'll move on and we'll take a look at the games from last week. <laughs> So we'll start with Thursday Night Football. Pittsburgh at Cleveland, 7-21. Very one-sided in the scoring. And as we mentioned in the news section, a dirty, dirty, dirty game. Cleveland seemed to be coming out with the idea to go headhunting because honestly, I can't see how the defensive backs were hitting guys and targeting like that if it wasn't kind of planned coming in. They knocked out Juju Smith-Schuster. They knocked out, I think, Andy Johnson. We had a, we, I think it was, was it Johnson that whenever he uh, took his helmet off was bleeding from the ears from the hit that he took? Like, yeah, and it, it, that was probably the most egregious one. I believe Demarius Randall was uh, ejected after that, and rightfully so. That was an awful hit. And yeah, uh, as you mentioned, Juju was also hit out of this game. And on the same play, I think Mason Rudolph also took a smack to the head. Um, so as you said, Cleveland 
obviously the end of this game kind of overshadowed all that early dirtiness, but uh, yeah, Cleveland were just engaging in some really horrible play. I get it. You know, they're trying to make a statement here. They're, they're trying to fight for their playoff lives. This, the, the, obviously, the, the, the discipline there has been awful in terms of penalties and other stuff this year. But this, using this, yeah, as I said before, this is very Marvin Jones-esque. And maybe that can get you to the playoffs. But if you're doing it this way, you don't deserve to be in the playoffs. And if you get bounced out in the first round, well, we'll be happy to see it. Even if the mm. Cleveland Browns, as an organization under history, maybe deserve a little bit of luck. Not based on this. It just was disgusting. No, of course. And the one thing that kind of got lost in how, because obviously the main stories are just how dirty the play was and how basically evil Cleveland Browns have become. One thing that's getting lost entirely in the mix is just how rancid the Pittsburgh offense actually looks. They aren't getting anything happening at all. I like at the moment, I would probably be putting them below the likes of the Dolphins and, and possibly Cincinnati as well, given that they've at least got Joe Mixon going for them. Rudolph doesn't look like a starting quality NFL quarterback. They should be pulling him and putting in Devlin Duck Hodges. Like, this was terrible. And the defense didn't show up either. And I don't know what what that was about. Like, I know, obviously, it's a Thursday night game. It's a short week. But, like, one sack, no turnovers for a team that was basically being carried to a near 500 record by their defense alone. Yeah, Pittsburgh, like, kill any dreams you have of this Oh, we'll get in, in the number six wild card, and then we'll Vindication, make some Vindication, says Connor. I know you've been riding this train for a few weeks, but yeah. Yeah, no, like, they're fucking awful. Like, like. This was true, basically, since Rudolph has entered the lineup. Like, they were only getting wins, thanks, A, to their defense, getting lots of touchdowns, because it's Patrick in particular, but also mm. that their run game was effective when James Connor was healthy. And even when he went out and they had Jalen Samuels and they had Edmonds and all kind of other random guys, even Betty Snell... Like, they were getting some production, but eventually, you know, and against the Cleveland front, which is getting getting a bit better, um, it just it got shown up that how bad Mason Rudolph is. Because when you look at the other side of Cleveland, like, Baker Mayfield has been really bad this year, let's be honest. But yeah. they've decided, like, they've taken the same approach as, like, the baby gloves that Pittsburgh have been using with Rudolph. Obviously, they relied on the run game. Uh, Kareem Hunt and Bradley Chubb got... 50% of the total yards here. So you're talking about a lot of runs, a lot of short passes to people like Hunt. But I think the difference is that when you when you do that with Baker Mayfield and you can create some discomfort on the other side in the defense, you then see the re-emergence of some of those big plays, some of those things that we really like to see uh, when passing to people like Landry and OBJ to a lesser extent. Uh, is that sustainable in terms of Cleveland being relevant going forward? Probably not. But at least it was nice to see a little bit of that vision of yeah. what we saw late last year. Uh, even if it involved putting on the massive training wheels to get him going again. Yeah, and like, as, as, as I think we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, like one thing to bear in mind is even though this Cleveland team hasn't looked particularly good so far this season and there's been issues, like you mentioned, particularly with the quarterback, they do now have a much easier slate of games in the back half to run into. So this is a team that actually has a decent shot at a run at a wildcard spot here. So they need to... We, we, they, they need to basically grow up a little bit on on offense, finalize what their identity is, but also just, you know, who it, it feels like Greg Williams hasn't left that defense because they're just running around as if there's bounties flying around on everyone. 
Okay, we've got a couple of like more one-sided games that will fly through. New York Jets at Washington, 34-17. to uh, Darnold looked good, nearly 300 yards, four touchdowns and an interception. Defense went off. Uh, Adams in particular seems to have, as soon as they mentioned that they might trade him, has decided, fuck it, I'm just going to play like a, like a defensive player of the year candidate. I think he's up to six sacks on the year now. Haskins, the rookie, looks like we've heard for pretty much the whole season, regardless of who the coach is, that he's not ready to be there. 200 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Most of that production came in garbage time. There was a one or two nice throws where we saw him show off his arm strength, but we saw nothing that suggests any kind of decision-making. Darius Geis had a nice player too in this game. Nice to see him getting worked in, and there's some hope with players like that that can be used in the future. But it's a dead season for Washington. The Jets get a nice little bit of an ego boost here, and they can see that there is stuff that they can build around with Darnold, although I'd still question... Gase being their head coach next year their only worry is winning too many games and him getting to stay on essentially um jacksonville indianapolis 13 to 33 ronan yeah like this indianapolis kind of ground this out uh no pun intended as they had two over 100 yard running backs with marlon mack obviously going off injured uh early in the second half and then uh john williams also racking up 100 yards albeit mostly off a single big Something. run uh impressive uh, Chukui Brisket, Brisket came back uh, mostly took the back seat only 150 yards one touchdown one interception but I think you could tell that the offense felt more stable with him and there was a bit more of an ability to make things up on the fly whereas Hoyer I think if the defense figured out the play beforehand he he was liable to throw you a pick on the other hand we look at Jacksonville um, they're kind of fading from contention at this point but they got Nick Foles back he looked pretty ineffective mostly to be honest outside of the first drive uh, and a touchdown to DJ Chark. He ended up with like 300 yards uh, and two touchdowns, one interception. Uh, I think the issues with the team go much beyond Nick Foles. The defense isn't as good as it needs to be. And and to be honest, like the offensive talent around him, some of these pieces need to be upgraded outside of Chark and maybe Fournette. But uh, I think, you know, Indianapolis, huge win for them in division. And it sets up nicely then for Thursday night football, where they have a chance to really lock down their chances of making the playoffs as the winner in the uh, AFC South. No, of course. And you could see Jacksonville because they, they kind of built to run a lot and then they build their pass off the run. They only had six rushes, I think in the first half in this game, they lost. And I know they were trailing, but like if, if that's how you build your team, you need to be able to stick to the plan. We'll talk about it when we get to the Minnesota Vikings game later on. Sticking to the plan seems to be a key for these guys to be able to actually, you know, have their game plans be effective. Buffalo, Miami, 37 to 20. Yeah, like Buffalo dominated. Josh Allen, 250 yards, another 50 on the ground, four touchdowns. Like Fitzmagic, as always, will put up the numbers, he over 300 yards in this, but it was just not very good, to be honest. They fed Kalen Balazs a lot, and that was about it for Miami. Yeah, like, like they got, they, like, the, the score flatters them even a little bit because they got a touchdown on a punt return from Jakeem Grant, which was very impressive, to be honest. And they even managed to... Oh, recover, yeah, that was a great punt return. They even managed to recover a surprise onside kick. Uh, Jason Saunders recovered his own onside kick which mm. was fun to see. I think that's uh, only the second recovered onside kick this yeah, season, and, as well, isn't it? Yeah, and, you know, the one thing about Miami, they're trying lots of stuff out, and they've now had the worst onside kick, because I believe they had a, an onside kick return for a touchdown against the Jets. Now they've had a kicker recover his own onside kick, so they're obviously experimenting a lot on that move. I'm sure that'll come up valuable when they actually be a good team in years to come. <laughs> no, of course. Uh, Dallas at Detroit, 35-20. to 
27. Uh, this was an interesting game. I was actually, I was, I was sat watching this with an Eagles fan who was desperately crying out for Detroit to win. <laughs> Dallas didn't make it easy. Jeff Driscoll, the backup is in because Matt Stafford has a partially broken back, so he's missing for a week or two. Just thrown for 200 yards, 51 yards on the ground and three touchdowns. Like, this Dallas defense has the personnel that it shouldn't be giving up 27 points to Jeff Driscoll. Dak had a phenomenal game. He was 400, 450 yards, three touchdowns. And uh, my boy from the preseason, Michael Gallup, showing up in a big spot, uh, nearly 150 yards for him. Cobb went over 100. Uh, Zeke Elliott looked a bit shaky in this. So I think he fumbled on his first carry of the game and was sub three yards per carry. But Dallas able to get the win in a spot when their run attack isn't really working. And we saw them put a lot more faith in Dak. Is this possibly a look at how they can turn the corner coming in towards playoff season? Well, I, I think they, they this is how they looked early on the season. I think there was like a mid-season swoon where we talked about them going back to Zeke more. But I think mm. after kind of steadying the ship uh, and Cooper was looking good for a few last few weeks, although he's injured here, that's why Gallup and Cobb probably stood up. I think you, you start to see this Kellen Moore hype train start to reemerge. And like, to be honest, Dak has been quietly having a really good season. And most of the losses this season are on the defense. And as you say, the fact that Jeff Driscoll is like doing pretty, looked like a pretty good quarterback against your defense. The fact that Bo Scarborough looked like a starting running back after being picked up on Friday, randomly just like shoved in there, gets 55 yards and a touchdown, albeit one most of that on a big run. I think the defense here is a major, major issue. And with all the talent that they have, and like to be fair, like Demarcus Lawrence, I believe he had to go off for a while uh, and stuff like that. But like when you look at their linebackers, when you look at the defensive line, when you talk about Chris Richard, the defensive coordinator, very hyped. This is just a complete capitulation this year. And if they want to be competitive in the postseason, which I think I'm probably more likely than not that they'll make it there. Yes, Jack mm-hmm. has been stepping up. That's great for them. But if you don't have a good defense, you're likely to get blown away by some of these teams they're going to be facing there. Um, so for Dallas, uh, you know, they, they, they managed to win here. That's the important thing. Keeps them above the Eagles. Um, but yeah, definitely major causes for concern here in, in Jerry World. No, of course. Houston of Baltimore, wow, one-sided. This is the one we thought was going to be the best, 7-41. to 41. Yeah, just a quick, outside of Lamar is incredible to watch. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and it was another kind of MVP performance, uh, like a 39-yard run highlight, as usual, like dominating in the air, of course, of four touchdowns uh, in total. But I think the big story, emerging story in Baltimore is that this defense, it's kind of gone under the radar but I think people are starting to notice that this defense, since that beating by Cleveland, has turned it around significantly. They obviously got pieces like Peters back. Um, they got, uh, they're getting their edge rushers, Judon and Ferguson. They're getting to the quarterback now. And I think if this defense ends up being a Baltimore level defense, and they got seven sacks and interception here, they have to be the favorites for the Super Bowl. Let's be honest at this point, because that is a complete team on both sides of the ball right now. Oh yeah, and I think you see a complete team annihilate an incomplete team because you know Houston are so reliant on Watson, and you kind of saw the way he was playing. He knows that they're reliant on him because he was holding onto the ball too long, trying to make stuff happen, and all that meant is that he got sacked many more times than he needed. Well, this to. is this is the thing I was going to say. Like when you look at that and you see seven sacks, one thing is that like. At least five of those are entirely on Watson, like running his figure eights in the backfield and just getting sacked because he's holding the ball for nine seconds. 
Yeah, and they don't have much of a defense. So this is the Deshaun Watson show. It might be enough to get them to the playoffs, though Indianapolis looked like a better, more solid team overall. And I think maybe the only grievance that Houston can have is that, hey, maybe things would be different if that early PI review um, that went against them had gone well, away. That was a call. They would have been 7-0 up. But considering how much Baltimore dominated the rest of the game, that, yeah, that's very, very slim hope you're giving up. But yeah. Another one-sided one, Atlanta, Carolina, 29. 20- Nine to three. Atlanta finally remember how to play football <laughs> now that their season is over. So um, their defense has decided to step it up. Four interceptions, five sacks. This is the defense that we, for eight weeks, and rightly so, we're telling you, has no back- backbone, has no identity, won't do anything. Their wide receivers did well, Hundred, nearly 150 yards for Ridley, nearly 100 for Julio. Kyle Allen in Carolina is awful. Uh, similar to the uh, Watson stuff we mentioned, he was holding on to the ball and just getting destroyed here. Christian McCaffrey, again, brilliant, nearly 200 yards. But, like, yeah, just Atlanta dismantled Carolina. And then the we've talked about cowardly punts beforehand, cowardly field goals. They were <laughs> like... Was it twenty six nothing or twenty nine nothing with eight minutes left, and they kicked a field goal? And after yeah. it said, "No, no, no, it's very important to do that. We don't want to get shut out at home." Like, yeah, I heard. I think the best joke on Twitter was a uh, riverboat run, more like paddle boat run. But uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, one one note to make: Atlanta obviously seem to be enjoying playing their division rivals. Their next three weeks, <clears throat> more division rivals on the schedule. We'll see if this like berserker terminator approach to their division rivals will continue for the next month or so one sider new orleans at tampa bay 34 to 17 yeah so after a disappointing loss for new orleans to get back on track thanks in large part to Jameis winston self-destructing with four more picks i think he's like five ahead of the next in terms of interceptions although it's rivers then it's him then rivers I'll, I'll give you one thing. The one that was uh, for O.J. Howard, where he put it behind his back, that's probably an O.J. Howard. That was like, hilarious. That was I, like I, he just learned how to juggle and then forgot that he had to do it in front of him. Yeah, like, like it's fine. And, like, he got three, he got 300 yards, two touchdowns. It doesn't matter. If you give the ball away that much, it doesn't matter. New Orleans were fine. They were efficient. They put Kamara with 120 yards and Thomas with 114 yards and his infinite catches. He's well on track to beat the reception record. Back at the center of the offense. And, like, I think... It's already been noted already, but they didn't really have much of a deep pass game. Definitely a concern. But I think with that defense and with those players like Kamara and Thomas, they can get away with it. But I think at the back end of the season, if they make the playoffs, which they probably will, that could be a concern. But yeah, I think, you know, they won't have as many easy games here where the other team is just giving you the ball and letting you in effectively. So next up, Denver at Minnesota. Surprisingly entertaining game, 23 to 27. Yeah, Denver somehow got 20 to nothing up in this game. I don't know how it happened because they are not a good team. But uh, Cousins came out in the second half and just went to town. Over 300 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, Stefan Diggs playing excellent and their defense stepping up hugely. It was, yeah, it was just really impressive. And Denver just were not able to adjust at all to what was coming at them in the second half. So they, I think they scored three points in the second half entirely, wasn't it, from, from yeah. Denver? And it was a big win at the end. It took them to the, to the very end to try and knock it down. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a very impressive win for Minnesota. Although realistically, when you look at a team like Denver, it shouldn't take this kind of gut check, dig deep at home to be beating that team. 
Yeah, but but I think you know every, every team nearly always has a, a a performance or two like this, and it's all about how do you react to it. And obviously, this is a narrative busting win for Kirk Cousins. Like yeah. uh, they didn't go away from the run completely. As you said they didn't go away from it completely, even if the run game wasn't totally effective. They stuck to that to ensure that the play action wouldn't be com- wouldn't be completely wiped out. And I think Cousins, if he has the advantage of at least some uncertainty in terms of play action, and we know play action is statistically the best thing to do in every play to be honest like him and Diggs managed to do something off obviously this is without Thielen as well so you know even though Cook wasn't great for them uh, and he didn't carry them I think the fact that Cousins stepped up to the plate did his job and got this win was huge even if obviously they were like against a better team 20 uh, to not after the half would have been impossible to get back to but obviously you know Brandon Allen he was solid in the first half, but I think you saw his limitations, and there was a couple of costly misses, particularly a touchdown, uh, an almost certain touchdown to Fant uh, in the second half that that he basically missed through. Um, yeah. And and in the final drive, you kind of saw that when the when the backs were up against the wall and he had to go down and try and win this after Minnesota took the lead, it, you just like you could just see that he was being clamped down, wasn't getting it done. Like the Denver defense obviously carried a huge amount of water in the first half to set up that twenty nil situation. But towards the end, they seemed to wilt a bit. I think it got exposed that like their front four uh, is really good still. Obviously, uh, Von Miller is still really good. But I think that that secondary outside Chris Harris is just a little bit questionable. And they can be exposed if you can move them around. So, like Denver, it's another game where they threw away a lead. Another game where they played it close. I think this is a year where I think there's promising signs for Denver if they can sort out the quarterback situation. But I think this year you just saw that the, the limitations of the quarterback position they're just going to set you back at the end of the day. And and huge win for Minnesota. Keeps them in the race for, for the wild card and in the NFC North. Um, but uh, yeah, just basically goes against everything that we understand about the Minnesota team and, and Kirk Cousins. Uh, so hopefully it can continue. Well, yes, would... y- yes and no, because it is against a team with a losing record. Well, okay. Yeah, just the <laughs> gravity of the situation. It's like, they're losing. I can beat them, says Kirk Cousins. <laughs> mm, it's true. Uh, next up, Arizona at San Francisco. This one was a bit closer than I was expecting it to be. San Francisco got the win late with the Jeff Wilson Jr. touchdown. But yeah, like Jimmy G again shows up in this game. Not a perfect game, but but good. Like over 400 yards, four touchdowns, two interceptions. And the like the run game just wasn't happening. And you can see that like... It's good to see them be able to put it in this spot because this was an offense that was predicated on that run game beforehand. Kyler Murray looks good in this and has some exciting throws and everything. And to be honest, it, it almost feels like it's beneficial to them to be, you know, playing well but losing because then they can see what they've got. They can see what they've got to build around and get excited, but also still maintain good draft position to add more pieces around for, for growth. But yeah, I was... I was not expecting Arizona to be able to kind of jump out on this uh, San Francisco defense like they did. Yeah, and I, I think there is still flaws in the system from from Kyler and Cliff. I think that they're still not great at getting those. They're not. I think they have issues in the red zone, but they've they've realized that if we rely on Kyler's like uh, his shiftiness and his ability to do it underground, they can get away with it. But I think they're they're not a great chain-moving offense, but it doesn't really matter if you can manage to get explosive plays um, every, you know, you know, if you get it, I suppose, every once in three throws or three attempts, you're, you're probably fine. And I think Kyler Murray, he's growing into this season. You're seeing some plays that basically no one else can do on the ground and in the air. 
And I think, yeah, like if this offense can get going and the defense, which seems to be getting a little bit better as the year goes on. And Chandler Jones, by the way, another over 10 sacks, over 13 sack season. He's he, he's quietly, he's kind of like Larry Fitzgerald of the defense on this team at this point. Uh, so there's much to look forward to. But yeah, playing for San Francisco, it's all about this year. They've invested a lot of money in Jimmy G and they're finally seeing him carry the team. Struggled early on, let's be honest. But when the chips were down um, and he had to bring this team back into it, um, he was efficient. He got the job done. Obviously, missing George Kittle here again. Emmanuel Sanders was hurt, relying on basically like the the broken toys of the offense to get it done. And you know, uh, in a big move at the end against the zero blitz where the pressure's on, he looked cool. He's calculated. He, he saw Jeff Wilson Jr. on Chandler Jones, a defensive end, and he threw the throw, and it was a perfect touchdown. Uh, just note here that like San Francisco got like the the ten point difference here, twenty six to thirty six. Exaggerates a little bit. They got a uh, a defensive touchdown on the last play, um, which apparently was good for the uh, the betting line. Um, but uh, yeah, like this this was a last <laughs> minute win basically against Arizona. So Arizona, they, they had they could definitely act as spoiler down the by down the uh, stretch. But San Francisco, huge win because they yeah. and most of their NFC rivals are going to be facing off against each other over the next month. So lots well, of this games is it. To I was about to say 49ers, I, I, I was just reading earlier today, they're playing the toughest three-game stretch this late in the NFL season ever in NFL history. So they have three straight games against teams with an 800 or greater winning percentage. So they'll have a chance to, to prove their Super Bowl bona fides basically early. Um, but uh, right now they can definitely be competitive in any game. And as, as I mentioned, without George Kittle... Getting this win, that's a huge thing. And, and once they get Kittle back and hopefully Sanders is healthy, definitely something, definitely, definitely considered to be a Super Bowl contender at this point. Oh, yeah, 100%. New England at Philadelphia, 70-10. to 10. Uh, New England gets there, but it was... That, this is a, a, an underwhelming game from both teams. I think it was a trick play that got them there. Julian Edelman touchdown and three field goals. Brady didn't look good. The offense looked sluggish like we said whenever they've come against teams of quality they haven't looked that good philadelphia's defense was good but not great uh, and i'm not sure because they didn't have takeaways or huge sack numbers so i'm not sure if that was as much a function of the new england offense as it is the philadelphia defense yeah like this was a game with 10 punts in it that took a that took a trick play to be able to to get over the the edge. This was an important result, and obviously two teams. I think the problem is like these are two well coached teams. You can tell that they're well set that they're doing it, but you can also tell that there's no there's no natural talent on these teams. They're well coached. They could get the job done, but where's the speed? Where's the urgency? Where's the game changers? You look at both sides of the ball. Isn't really much there because there wasn't really that many turnovers in this game, uh, which I suppose New England have shown they can get turnovers, but on the offenses. It's just slow. It's sluggish. There's nothing happening. With maybe the exception of, of Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz, on both these teams, nothing's happening. And New England can get away with it, I suppose, because Bill Belichick's amazing and they're, they're in the AFC East. But, yeah, I, I think for Philadelphia, for a team that we kind of historically associate with big plays, uh, big Dick Nick, all that kind of stuff, without Deshaun Jackson, you're relying on Aguilar and Jeffrey, and these people are fine, but they're slow. And it's just... Yeah, neither of these teams are very fun to watch. They're, they're both good enough that they may still be, well, they're, they, they can still contend, they can still win games, but mm-hmm. they're just not, they're not that interesting right now. They're just, just they're just decent. They get the job mm-hmm. done. Both these teams coming off a bye where you'd expect to see more 
yeah. inventiveness and more kind of attack. And it's just, yeah, it's just, just very limp. Yeah, would <laughs> be the term I'd use for it. Cincinnati at Oakland, 10 to 17. This was a boring as fuck game. Oakland did a decent job with uh, Josh Jacobs looking very good. Uh, Carr looking fine, like good yardage, a touchdown and interception. Cincinnati continued to look just, ugh. Uh, Mixon looks great. I think he had nearly six yards of carry in this game. But there's just nothing much going on there. This is a very important win for Oakland because obviously it puts them just a game back in the, uh, well, it's just a game and a half because they don't have the Chiefs of the tiebreaker over them. But uh, in in the AFC West at the moment, yeah, like it, it, it's key for them to be winning these AFC matchups. But if I'm them and I'm looking at a team as bad as Cincinnati and they're in Oakland for this game and you're winning by seven points, I yeah. calm down a bit on the, oh, the man, we're going all the way this year kind of shit, you know? Like, I, I'm not buying the hype. Uh, I don't think you're buying the hype. We'll see. Maybe they can sneak in as a wild card. I, but. I, I like them, and I think they could be a wild card, and I think they could surprise a team. But, like, don't come banging your chest after beating probably the first overall pick team by seven points at home. And they're a better team than Pittsburgh. That's the main thing, right, in terms of... Uh, avoiding the worst 60 possible. Sunday night football, awful game. Uh, I pity anyone who <laughs> stayed up for it. Like they traded some turnovers early on. The Rams had a fumble and a pick. Chicago had a pick uh, before eventually they got some offense going, although Chicago's field goal woes uh, come back with 0 out of 2 converted by Pinheiro. Uh, and those kind of handed the momentum late to the Rams, who to be honest didn't do much. Uh, the training wheels are fully back on for Goff in this game. They stack the line up, extra linemen in there, extra tight ends, and basically get the ball over the girly who was solid after an early fumble, had about just just below a hundred yards. Uh, but Goff, even in those like safety gloves, kick glove situations, was still bad. Less than uh, less than two hundred yards, had an interception. Like he just doesn't look good right now. And we've talked at length about it already. But Mitch Trubisky, even before. His supposed injury happened in the, in the second quarter. He was already playing bad. He already looked terrible. And right now, like like Matt Nagy looks like a man incredibly frustrated for, to have to play, call plays for a team without a quarterback because that's just impossible to do. None of yeah. the stuff that they're doing really work. A couple of nice plays to Tariq and That's about all they have right now. Uh, yeah, and just Chicago circling the drain. And the Rams just about stay relevant. But based on this performance, it's hard to see them getting into that top six, considering the type of talent that's above them. Such a sadness bowl, isn't it? Like both these teams, one was in the, one was in the Super Bowl last year and one was a kind of key Super Bowl contender last year. And you're just kind of going like, where they are now versus where they were this time last year. It's actually, uh, the day we're recording this on a year since the, uh, since the Monday night football that we stayed up to watch the Chiefs versus Rams 54 to 52 game. And to think a year on, 7-17 to 17 in one of the worst matches is the Sunday night football a year later. It's just, it's just bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, awful. Please, please, uh, yeah, sort your shit out, please. Schedule makers, <laughs> stop putting this game on, the, on its own. And finally, Monday night football, Kansas City at the LA Chargers, but really at the uh, Mexico City Chargers. KC survive with a big interception at the end in Mexico. Mahomes didn't get anything going here. 182 yards, a touchdown, an interception. 
they were completely shut down in the first half and they came out firing in the second half, uh, adjusted to what they were doing and started just having Travis Kelsey was kind of the offense for the second half. They had him sitting into little zone hooks and, and little rub routes wherever they saw a bit of gap. The Chargers did a great job of like kind of closing down the outside and bringing pressure. Their defense looked really good in this game, to be fair. And honestly, I, I, I know I heard about like the impact of the altitude on the players, but watching the fourth quarter of this game, like every player, particularly the defensive players on the pitch, just looked so gassed. Yeah, like there was it, it, there was no points in the last quarter, I believe. So no, there wasn't. It was just all defense, defense, defense. And uh, obviously, this probably the defining thing of this game will be Rivers making a fucking hames of it as he always does. But uh, he's now had back-to-back three-plus interception games. He threw four in this game. And there should have been a fifth. Tyrion Matthew missed an absolute, just a a drop into his hands as Frank Clark tackled uh, Rivers as he was passing and somehow missed the the pick that sailed through his hands. Uh, Frank Clark stepped up and had a great game, which was a nice change to see uh, in this. But yeah... It was it was an interesting one. What worries me the most coming out of this game is Andy Reid's second half play calling. So he came out of the half, adjusted, did great and scored two touchdowns and then immediately shut down. And I understand that the wide receiver one was out, their RB1 and 2 were out and they were missing a couple of people on the line and stuff like that. But they literally went from two lovely, well-executed touchdown scoring drives to we're going to run it once, then we're going to throw the exact same screen pass twice, and then we're going to punt it. And they punted on four straight downs, having gained at most, I think, 22 yards in, in, in one of those drives. And just the way that he wants to sit on a lead and lean on the defense when they're clearly tired, it worries me for what the team might do structurally in, yeah. uh, in 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 later games against better offenses, because if you're playing Baltimore and you get up by fourteen points, you cannot stop scoring in that instance. I think the Kansas City right now they're just they're limping to the bye to a certain extent, both figuratively and literally. It's been a tough season, obviously, with all the injuries and the games missed and stuff like that. They still got the record. They're still leading the AFC West. They have an outside shot of a of a bye still. If if New England fall off, for example. Um, so I just think for them, the main thing was to win the game. Perhaps they could have been a bit more adventurous, you say, in the fourth quarter. He shut this down earlier, but, you know, they got away with it thanks to Pat Mahomes running a bit and Kelsey kind of dominating in the uh, passing game. Obviously, as we mentioned, Tyreek Hill, Damian Williams right early. Um, McCoy filled in and was okay. A few nice runs. Uh, but yeah, I think the story here is like a Chargers team, which definitely had a chance to win, was basically they were Jameis by Rivers, effectively. Mm-hmm. He kind of threw the ball away. Lots of throws where he should have just taken a sack or just thrown out of bounds, but chose to just throw it and hoof it up into no man's land and picked off because of it. And when you consider all the things that they have going right now, their defense looks good. Joey Bosa's looking good. Ingram's looking good. They look good on that end of the ball. Their running game is getting going. Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler looked good in this game in in various points. It, this can only be placed at the feet of Philip Rivers. He cost in this game. He's a free agent after this year, and you have to worry and wonder, are we seeing the end of Philip Rivers here as a starting quarterback in the NFL? I'm sure he'll get a chance, even if it, that is true in practical terms. But yeah, Philip Rivers cost in this game, costing them a chance for a big win to stay relevant. But right now, Chiefs get a really important win. 
Chargers basically irrelevant uh, down the stretch. Yeah, I was actually going to say, like, you could see that he was the cause of their loss here, and he has been not great in recent times. I feel this is probably his last year with them, and I don't see him catching on somewhere else afterwards. I think he's probably done, or maybe he stays on. And the question I would have would be, Will they try and see? Because I believe they drafted a rookie this year in like the fourth round or something like that. And are they going to take a quick punt to have a look at them? Actually, I think we have a question from one of the listeners. It's going to take us down this route. So we'll move over and look at some questions from you, the listener. Okay, so the first one comes in from Michael. He says, who would you take going forward between the Chargers and the Bears? And he says, both have good defenses, poor quarterbacks, and a number of rookies that are nearing paydays. So, yeah, so this is kind of what we were saying, that, like, the Chargers look like they're probably going to be moving on from Phillip Rivers, or at least if they're smart, they will. And the same can be said for the Bears and Trubisky. Both teams have strong rosters, good players, and rookies on cheap contracts who are nearing the point where they're going to have to be paid. Which one of these rosters do you think will be able to turn it? I I don't know. I don't think he means for this season. I think probably turning around, he says, going yeah, forward. So, uh, like, for... Yeah, like yeah. outside of outside of the contract issues, which I think maybe go go a bit more in favor of the Bears. I think the Chargers are in a better place. They have actual picks going forward. Yeah, I think the picks, yeah. the bet the best players in their roster um, are better in my opinion. Like I'd rather have Boza and Ingram versus one Mac. To be honest, on the defensive front, if you're talking about like the real strengths here. Uh, and I think, yeah, I think the Chargers right now, there'll be less pressure as well. I think you can build something in your own image in the Chargers, where I think with the Bears, there's going to be expectation there. I think that offense there, outside Allen Robinson, Matt Nagy was kind of making that work. And I'm just worried that, you know, he might have had his system figured out and now things are just going to get worse for them going forward. And there's just not enough talent there in offense to compensate uh, for, for even if they get a decent quarterback. They need an elite quarterback to make that work, in my opinion. Possibly. But the thing is, I, I, I also see that, like, I think that Trubisky is worse than Rivers is. Uh, so I think the upgrade that they would experience for the Bears versus, you know, the upgrade that they would have for the Chargers would be more significant. Uh, also, I suppose there's, there's other roundabout things of you're thinking about setting up longer term. you got to look at the coaching staff but you've also got to look at the ownership and what are they going to let you do and let's be honest like uh fuck spanos you know uh, i i i don't know like i think i think these are two teams that are in very similar positions i think the bears will have a more difficult time of it one because they have all those draft picks gone and they also have like not only is that tied up in clear but they also have the draft picks that are tied up in the qb so who's a rookie who then like what happens if you let him go and he becomes great somewhere else kind of thing. There's always going to be worries like that for people involved. And yeah, like the, I think max cap hit doubles next year. So it's going to be even more difficult to maintain quality around it. Whereas the chargers have, they skew a little bit younger on some of those new quality players. So I'd, I'd, I'd imagine I'd probably agree with you and go with chargers for a quick turnaround, but I might look at the bears for a more stable kind of, if you want to build a five-year program somewhere next up, we have a question about the international series. Turf quality looked to be an issue again in Mexico. Actually, this is quite funny. The turf did not look very good, but uh, they clearly informed the the announcing team and everyone that they're not allowed to mention that the turf looks bad. 
So they had to like avoid talking about it. And any time it came up, they one of them would quickly veer the other one away from the subject. So they said, does this harm the international program and franchises slash games abroad in general? One of the things that came up about this Mexico field is that it's a very good soccer pitch but it doesn't make for a good American football pitch. Something to do with they like the ground a bit softer for soccer, so the ball doesn't bounce as much or something. So basically, is this kind of lack of ability to multi-purpose pitches like they would like to mean that there's a higher cost and kind of entry level to having international games and programs? Because obviously, you know, the, the new stadium for Tottenham Hotspurs has a separate... NFL pitch that's built that specification that essentially comes out of the ground and <laughs> replaces the soccer pitch. Like, are we looking at a spot where the requirements for player safety and to ensure the games are going to be have good enough quality ground to play on going to become higher and make it more difficult to have international programs, franchises, and one-off games around? I suppose, yeah. Yeah, yeah and it was recently renovated. So this is this was new turfing, and uh, we saw something similar at the Rugby World Cup. Another game that's very tough on turf compared to a game like soccer. I think there's some circumstances here that basically led to the turf being in a suboptimal position for the type of basically punishment you're going to get from an NFL game. And obviously, considering that the turf was and the flooding and all the stuff that stopped it being played last year, certainly the Mexico game has to be in question. I think in the in the UK games, they've generally been better at, at adjusting. It hasn't been perfect but they've been okay at it, in my opinion, yeah. mostly. Um, but this is just a, a, like, I think it's just one of those things, there's no way to bet in turf quicker than you can. And with a new stadium, that that's just the way things ran. Um, hopefully by the time, if they come back next year, it'll have been bedded in a bit more and they'll be more prepared for this situation. I, I think, you know, the, the talk in the CBA negotiations is that the NFL is looking to expand significantly the international series. Obviously, as international fans, we want to see that. We want to see more games around the world, including yeah, more in put, Europe. Put one in but, Iraq now, as soon as you can. <laughs> but... But obviously, you know, situations like this, they do they do undermine a bit. They do make it more difficult. And yeah, choosing to just propagandize it and just say it didn't happen isn't going to cut it. You just need to front up, say this is what happened. We'll make it better for next year. There was no season-ending injuries, hopefully. Um, we, obviously, we don't know yet, but hopefully. Um, so well, there's nothing that immediately strikes. Nothing like you kind of yeah. uh, immediately gave it a go. Oh, look, he got his foot stuck in a hole and now it's, you know, snapped yeah. off. <laughs> and to be fair... The NFL's a little bit hypocritical because they do make them play in like on, on like on fields with snow and shit like that. So the NFL yeah. is one of those sports that maybe it's a little bit hypocritical to talk about the turf quality being a stopper for the game when they're willing to let people play through like six inches of snow. So, by the way, uh, if you want a good laugh, there's a there's an article with the guy who was the uh, the turf quality manager or whatever over there, <laughs> and uh, they were explaining like how he made sure it was in good nick for the for the upcoming game. And it sounds like he was just feeding it breakfast. Apparently, like he fertilizes it with during the week with orange juice and like artificial proteins and stuff. I was like, <laughs> so weird. And we'll, we'll, we'll take one more question this week. So this one comes in from Julia, and she said, "How many wins for Atlanta to not fire Quinn?" So yeah, so obviously they Atlanta were looking like a complete lost season. We heard very non-committal to almost kind of he's gone statements from the general manager uh, or the owner blank, I think. Yeah. But they're now, you know, killing off their their divisional opponents, as you mentioned. They've got a few more of those in there. What kind of performance over the back half of this season do we need to see for them not to fire Quinn? Are we talking like, 
you know, beat two more of the divisional opponents because that's what you're looking for? Or is it a spot of like, well, realistically, you need to get to seven wins, eight wins? Yeah, I think he might get away with six wins. If he beats all of his division rivals and gets six wins, I suppose there's a nice narrative there. It's hard to know exactly what it is. Obviously, the team hasn't given up on him. That's a great sign in terms of why we fire coaches in general. But yeah, I think if they got seven wins, he'd definitely be safe. Six wins, it'll be iffy. If he wins against all his division rivals, that might help a little bit. So I'm going to say 6.5, basically, to split the difference mm. as being the safe zone, basically. Uh, but I think yeah. the fact that the team has rallied back around and are obviously playing for him is a huge vote of confidence in terms of an owner being willing to give him one more shot next year. No, of course, of course. Yeah, I'd probably agree with you in that area. It's going to be a tough ask, but like you say, the team are playing... This team looks completely different from the team five weeks ago. So uh, whatever you've been doing, just keep keep at it, I think, is your is your best bet. So uh, we, as always, send your questions into us on Facebook. I actually looked on our Twitter account. We haven't tweeted anything in nearly three years, so... Uh, well, Twitter's a dead platform. It's fine. We'll, it is, get, yeah, yeah. we'll get TikTok or whatever. TikTok, baby. TikTok. Yeah, we need to sign up for an account on TikTok. <laughs> uh, we'll move on and we'll take a look at the picks for next week. Okay, so first up on Thursday Night Football, Indianapolis at Houston. We've both gone for Houston. This will be a good-ish game, I think. But like I said, Mac is out. Uh, Indianapolis's offense looked, a, like, looked okay, but not world-beating. Houston... Still incredibly talented team, even though they just got the shit kicked out of them by Baltimore. And I got to imagine that they're at home. It's a short week. That always favors them. Yeah. And they're going to want to make up for that, uh, for that loss with, uh, and this is for the, for the lead in their division, isn't it? Yeah. It's a huge game. If Indianapolis win this, they'll have the tiebreaker over Houston. So they'll have a huge lock on the division. But I think Indianapolis, their away splits have been pretty bad this year. Jacoby Brissett in particular has a very bad. Um, home to away split um, so I think with that just in place and with Houston looking to get back on track and obviously Deshaun Watson is capable of winning games by himself uh, I'm, I'm going to put the faith that Houston can get back on track and, and kind of be in control of the division uh, and also set it up to be more exciting going forward because I think if Indianapolis win this it's going to be really hard for Houston to get back at that point I think they, 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 they really need to get this win in my opinion yeah no they do uh, Miami at Cleveland we're both going for Cleveland yeah, like Miami have looked a bit better the last couple of weeks, but Cleveland I, also who, looked a bit better. Who knows what interesting kicks Miami will have this week. It'll be uh, fascinating to watch. But Cleveland, hopefully, they're looking to get back on track and maybe put the put the recent pass behind them. We'll see if they can do that against Miami. Detroit, Detroit and Washington. Washington. My God, what a what a power matchup. Probably more Jeff Driscoll here. Yeah, like that, like that Darius guys, Adrian Peterson, they'll run the ball through him. Maybe Haskins can improve slightly again. But I think Detroit, even though they're a terrible team, I think they're a team that actually has an identity. They're a team that's going somewhere, whereas in the Zingu's just they're circling the drain at this point and they're just looking for the year to be over. Yeah, I could, I like, I could, I could see it because they're at home and stuff, but still, like, no. That's terrible. Uh, Oakland at the Jets. We disagree on this. So I've gone for the Jets. You've gone for Oakland. Yeah, I was I was originally Oakland for this myself. I was just thinking Jets looked good last week. They had some nice bits. It would be the it would be very Oakland to get within a game of tying the top of the division, then lose to the Jets. They're also traveling all the way across to the East Coast uh, in this one and. Yeah, like like I said, I think Oakland are decent. 
but I think they're getting a little bit ahead of themselves. So we're going to go, I'm going to go for the Jets here and also expect to see some defensive back blitzes as Adams is only two sacks away from tying the record for uh, DB sacks in the season. Yeah, uh, and like I could definitely see that from you. I think you're right there. Oakland aren't aren't an impossible team to beat, but I think they, they have a bit more momentum behind them. I think Josh Jacobs gives them a chance to get through. What is a relatively tough um, run defense with the Jets? And uh, yeah, like uh, the Jets, they've managed to eke out a few wins. But I just I just kind of feel like they lack that little bit of uh, explosiveness, a little bit of consistency. And Oakland right now, they're 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 pretty consistent, if not great. They just yeah. kind of get the job done. But if they do lose, then yeah, the, the Chiefs fans uh, will have won the bye, basically, uh, by default <laughs> in week 12. Giants at Chicago, just don't watch this. I've gone for Chicago, you've gone for the Giants. My choice of Chicago is based entirely on if Mitch Titties isn't playing. If he is playing, Giants. Both yeah. teams will not look great. Gi- Giants have looked good the last couple of weeks, or at least a little bit more exciting, but erratic. Both these teams are erratic, but I think the Giants at least have something to play for right now. So, mm. in the sense I think that they're, they're as well, because I think I think there's a lot of players on Chicago who want to show that like we're still good. They know the issue is the quarterback, and they want to prove that by you know the defense will ball out and do some nice bits. But yeah, just overall, just don't watch that game. It'll be terrible. Carolina, New Orleans, New Orleans all the way. Yeah, yeah. Car- Carolina put up three points last week, and that was a you know to save face. I just can't see anything other than a destruction by New Orleans here. Yeah, it's, it, if Kyle Allen keeps turning the ball over, this should be an easy win. Well, you know, Carolina, if they keep it tight, if they rely on McCaffrey, they might make this a close game. New Orleans, obviously, as you say, they lack a bit of explosiveness that we kind of associate with them. Uh, obviously, huge to ensure that New Orleans stay in the basically the, like the uh, seeding hunt, uh, mm-hmm. the number one seed hunt. But uh, yeah, like... It definitely has a banana skin feel. Like, obviously, Atlanta did that a couple of weeks ago. But I think on paper, New Orleans with Kamara, Thomas should have enough here with the defense also humming along nice. But I was going to say, like, just, just when you say that, like, wasn't it last year as well, around this time, Carolina, surprise, went into New Orleans and beat them? Yeah, like, there was a couple of late losses for, for New Orleans last year that were kind of like that. But, uh, mm. yeah, on form, we'll trust the New Orleans side. Yeah, I think so. Seattle, Philly, we've both gone for Seattle. I think the Philly were favourites up until I think they lost the, the Sunday, on Sunday. But uh, yeah, I think at home, Philly are better. Like their defensive back issues have mostly been sorted out and the defence overall is fairly good now. But as we saw there against New England, their offence is lacking explosiveness outside of the tight end position and against a Seattle offence that is, yes, completely over-reliant on Russell Wilson doing his magic in between like the the five yard runs or whatever they, they've shown consistently they can get points against the very best defenses when they need to so uh, uh, if if tyler lockett isn't playing maybe that ekes it maybe to be a closer game but i think if tyler lockett is healthy if chris carr is going to avoid fumbling seattle should have enough on offense to get it done and and i think you know the run game will be shut down it'll be on wentz's back to get this done and yeah it's just just a slow offense from philly uh, so choose the fast offense of Seattle, which can score a touchdown yeah. at any point. Yeah, I'm with you there. The only concern I have would just be that it's in Philly and so a bit of traveling and stuff. Uh, Tampa Bay, Atlanta is my pick of the week just because I wanted something a little bit different. This should be fun. <laughs> Tampa Bay are, you know, exciting offense who can either throw six picks or throw six touchdowns, depending on what day it is. Atlanta have recently remembered how to play football and look much more exciting. So, I'll, yeah, I just think it'll be a very entertaining game. We've both taken Atlanta in this, given their current form. 
if their defense is playing at the level it has been of late, uh, expect a good number of James Winston interceptions and sacks, which is it's always fun to watch as well. But yeah, just if you're looking for a nice, enjoyable game to sit back and kind of have fun with, this is the one for you. Uh, Denver at Buffalo, we're both gone for Buffalo. Like you have to give Denver a shot because they 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 are solid, but yeah, it just feels like one of those games that Buffalo at home they'll grind them out with the runs. John and Josh Allen will get a couple of like touchdowns in the red zone with his feet. It'll be fine. Like Buffalo beat the teams like Denver. They don't be anyone better than them. But uh, yeah, I think at home Buffalo should have enough just to get it done. Uh, yeah, yeah, Denver is really good at losing. Kind of Buffalo need to win these kind of ones to keep themselves oh, yeah. alive. Pittsburgh at Cincinnati. Do you know? Oh. <laughs> Your preseason Cincinnati belief showing true. Like, let's be honest, this is going to be an awful, awful game. Two offenses that do nothing. I suppose Pittsburgh have an actual defense, so that's nice. Um, so unless Joe Mixon absolutely dominates, it's hard to pick against the Pittsburgh defense. Um, I, I imagine Mason Rudolph will be, if he remembers to, with all the concussions I'm sure he has, uh, just hand the ball off to whatever running back you have available and you'll probably get enough done to win against this awful, awful Cincinnati team. So you're going to pick Cincinnati, Connor, or are you going to stick with Pittsburgh here? Uh, I've got Pittsburgh in there currently, but yeah. I'm kind of thinking at home division rival. The how bad that Pittsburgh offense is. It's just like I think Pittsburgh <laughs> is the worst offense in the league. Yeah. But equally, Cincinnati is is definitely a bottom three defense. Yeah. Well, you can <laughs> afford the gamble. You're you're well ahead in the pick. So if you wanna if you wanna go with your heart. Stop trying uh, to goad me into it. I've already got four this game this week. Yeah, I think you're up by like eight. So that's I think I'm up by more. Actually, I think I got one more than you last week as well. Yeah. I think I've got a nine or ten game buffer. You know? so I'll stick what, with Pittsburgh for now. Buffer if you don't have fun with it. I have. I've just I've gone for the Jets over Oakland, the Bears yeah. over the Giants, uh, and I'm, I'm about, about to open up another one here. Jacksonville at Tennessee. The Titans are at home. Uh, Nick Foles is back and he didn't look great last week they didn't get Leonard Fournette going I'm going to take Tennessee at home against the Jacksonville Jaguars yeah, it's not a bad pick like they're on form obviously they beat the Chiefs recently albeit a bit fluky obviously they're not they're just boring and I don't want to be relevant in a month mm. uh, so it would be nice if these two teams just kind of Jacksonville are a little bit below drag Tennessee down towards you know last season I- as a Chiefs fan, I should want the Jags to, to <laughs> you win. You picked with your head in this case, because I think Tennessee, they, they probably are fair. But I, I just have a feeling that Jacksonville right now, after a disappointing return for Folds, they'll go all out this week. They will get Fournette back involved like he, he wasn't this, this week and just get stuff going. And I think once the pressure's off this Jacksonville team, they feel like one of those teams who, once the leash is off, they could actually start doing some fun stuff. Is there a performance that Foles could put in that would result in Minshew starting after this week. Three picks. If you had a Philip Rivers type situation, then yeah, I could definitely see that. But yeah. I don't think it would happen next week. But uh, definitely, uh, it would. I think if he had a few. That gives me a real reason to root for Tennessee in this game. I want more Minshew. Okay, that's fair enough. <laughs> Dallas at New England. We've both gone for New England. Yeah, I don't like it, but I don't love it either. Actually, the but I th- in Foxborough. Yeah. It's it's that thing is that like like you know what like don't pick against them at home until they prove it's time to start doing that like 
Obviously, got a team on paper, yeah. and I like how they play more than I like how New England play. I really, really prefer their offense. Their defense has been poor, and that's the thing we might see. We might see an uptick in New England production because of how poor the Dallas defense has been playing. Yeah, it's a heat check for this New England offense. Can they get something going against a, a defense that's reeling right now? Can Tom Brady get going if he's given some time rather than being under pressure basically instantaneously because the tackles aren't doing anything? Uh, and can they get the run game going again? Because that's kind of been put on the shelf for a while. And if they can get doing, that's a huge step forward for them because uh, the defense I expect to be solid. Like with Dak Prescott playing the way that they are, they can't. Like I don't think that they can rely on getting. They'll probably need to get above 20 points to England to win this game. But I just feel like in Foxborough, they'll probably be able to do that. They'll get out. I think they'll get out to an early lead. Dak will gonna get Dallas to be close, but with Bill Belichick in the in the chair, it's just hard to say that New England wouldn't be able to shut it out if they need to at the end yeah. of the game. No, of course. Next up is your pick of the week: Green Bay at San Francisco. This will be a hell of a game. Yeah, I've gone Green Bay and you've gone San Fran. More obvious, perhaps, than your pick. Like, yeah, so we're talking about two powerhouses of the NFC. Huge implications here for seeding and division uh, for both teams. Obviously, like, both of these are potential number one overall seeds. But also both these teams have a team nipping on their heels with the Vikings and Seahawks, respectively. Where if they dropped a few games, they could end up being in the wildcard uh, hunt instead. As a And that, that, that would obviously be a massive difference in terms of how this season can end for both teams. Uh, I think in terms of the matchup, you're looking at Green Bay and a team where they've got the run game going at times this season, maybe a little bit over-reliant on the big play. Devontae Adams has more time to rest after the bye. Maybe we can start to see classic Devontae Adams. And I, but of course, the, the offense is running this year True, Aaron Rodgers. Can he continue to have his high, his peaks this year at the moment? He's kind of erred between being decent to really, really good. He'll need to be really, really good in this game, you'd imagine. As for the defense, it's actually mostly solid, except for the run defense. And that's a bit of an issue because we know that San Francisco's plan A, uh, talking about San Francisco, is they like to run the ball through Tevin Coleman, uh, through Matt Breida, if he's healthy this week, through Moster, Jeff Wilson, etc. They have a stable of backs. If they can get the run game going, which is obviously what they're going to try and do, that will give them control of the clock give time to ensure that their defense is uh, defense more time off the field. Because the defense is in a little bit of a lapse here, but I think it's because they got involved in more shootouts uh, recently in those Arizona games. And then they, they were pretty good in the Seahawks game. Um, but if they um, could shut down the run game for Green Bay, forcing the Rodgers' hand, start sacking him, and then take advantage of Green Bay's poor run defense, that's basically the San Francisco winning template for most of this season. And if they can't do that, We'll see if Jimmy G can get it done against what I consider to be a pretty good secondary here and a pretty good pass rush. So really yeah. fascinating game. Two really good teams with some like obvious weaknesses for Green Bay they'll have to overcome. But for San Francisco, we know maybe their highs aren't quite as high uh, with their personnel. But I think on balance, I think that run defense versus good run game might be the decisive factor for San Francisco getting a win at home on Sunday Night Football. Yeah, no, it should be an excellent game. I'll probably uh, try and hop up early and watch the second half of that here. And finally, Monday Night Football, Baltimore at the Rams. If you were starting the season and you were scheduling up, I can see exactly why you'd want this game here. But my God, please, no. Baltimore, all the way, they're going to destroy this Rams team who are not very exciting. Two weeks in a row where they're in a prime time slot. They were Sunday Night Football last week, they're Monday Night Football this week. Yeah, the... This is this is an, another nice opportunity for MVP CV to be continued yeah. to be written for Lamar well, Jackson. 
one thing I would notice, the Rams defense, this is actually probably the best defense they've had under McVay. So I think the major thing of the Rams is that if they can keep this competitive, if they don't get blown out like Houston were, that might be progress for them to kind of stop the you know terminal decline narrative growing around the team right now. Um, so I think for the Rams, keep it competitive. And of course, if you can win, that's great. Um, but yeah, like Baltimore, based on what they're doing right now, this could easily turn into a complete rout. Or the chance of the Chiefs to get a first round by, oh, it'd be great if you could win that game <laughs> by Rams here, no harm. <laughs> but yeah, no, so uh, that'll be good. It's a, it's an interesting, so we've got, there's a couple of like very big powerhouse matches going on and then a lot of kind of filler. But I, like like I said, there's a couple of bits in there, like that Tampa Bay Atlanta game, I think it'll just be great fun. Like even Seattle Philly, I can imagine being a quite quite, quite an enjoyable game to watch. Yeah, I believe like, that like the next four weeks, there's going to be lots of these high-powered matchups. But of mm-hmm. course, the trade-off is you're going to have a, a much lower quality undercard. Uh, but sure, we'll take the good games where we can find them at this point. No, of course, of course. In fact, I think I was chatting about there's a there's a week upcoming. I think it's at week thirteen. Just looks like it's going to be absolutely fantastic too. Uh, so we've got like Ravens, 49ers, Raiders, Chiefs, Seahawks, Vikings, Pats, Texans. Like it's just. It's a very tasty couple of weeks upcoming. But, um, yeah, so uh, any plans for the rest of the week yourself? It's pretty quiet at the moment, but I'm heading up to Thoman Park in Limerick for the Munster versus Ratsing 92 uh, European Cup uh, rugby game. So it'll be a nice day trip there. And then uh, I have Monday off uh, next week, so I might stay up for that uh, Sunday night football. Um, oh, if you're if you're up online at the time, we can have a bit of a chat about it as well. Who knows? Yeah, I'll pop on, I'll pop on the old... Uh... Yeah, Skype, and we can we can talk our way through it. It'll be nice. Um, if you have yeah, internet no, by that point, uh. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I, I'm impressed that uh, the the little mobile internet thing has worked so far for the recording of this, at least. Uh, so uh, fingers crossed that doesn't like break or something. Now that I've that I've mentioned it, yeah. No, uh, I don't think I've anything too major planned here myself. Got a few bits and pieces to do around the house. Obviously, trying to get the internet sorted and. Uh, some bits like that, just mostly life admin, getting uh, the presents bought now for the Christmas because uh, I need to order most of it online because I'm coming back to Ireland. I uh, I ordered, uh, I accidentally ordered one of the presents to my old workplace and uh, <laughs> got an email from the head of one of the divisions saying, hey, Connor, we've got a, we've got a package landed in for you here. I think it's a T-shirt. And I was like, oh, grand, I'll have a mate call over to you and pick it up. And he goes, I'll drop it down to him. And then I said to my friend, he's going to come down and drop it down to you. And he went, Jesus, that's some amount of power. You've got a, you've got a, a divisional head from a company that you don't even work for anymore delivering your post for you. Flex. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was nice of them. But, um, but yeah, so nothing nothing too wild or crazy. Uh, obviously, it's the Chiefs bye week, so it's kind of a bye week for myself as well. Not so not so much of a stress on the on the out football watching this week. So uh might be fun. I was actually going to have some people over to watch the games on Sunday, but given that I don't know if I'll have the wired internet in or not, I'm <laughs> I, I, I'm wary about having people over and then it just chugging and, and freezing. That will wrap us up. So, um, as always, if you want to get us questions, drop us on Facebook, email us, anything like that. And, uh, yeah, for now, it's bye from myself, bye from Ronan. Bye. All four quarters. Thanks for listening. We'll chat to you next week. Bye.